you go through the book of Acts, you will see time and time and time again where the Holy Spirit empowered the church. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell, and there was a, a, a great revival, and about 3,000 were added to the church. And people were added to the church daily. And then you see in Acts chapter 4 where Peter and John were going to the temple and all of a sudden the power of Jesus came upon them and they said to this person who was lame at the gate, rise, walk. And he got up. Now there created such a kerfuffle because there a group of people, the only thing that they saw beforehand was Jesus doing this stuff. Now people were doing this stuff. And every time that you'll notice if you read through the book of Acts in Acts chapter 4, and then you read again in Acts chapter 8, people who weren't even his disciples, Philip the evangelist, was starting to do mighty things. And the move of God moved not just from Israel, but to Samaritans, the despised. Then when you go to, on to Acts chapter 11, you see the Holy Spirit falling and Peter give, falling in a trance and he's given this bunch of, of, un, of unclean meat because he was himself Jewish. He uh, was confronted with this and Cornelius came, sent some men to his home and he went with Cornelius' men back to Cornelius' house and the Holy Spirit fell. You see, the Holy Spirit was was and is there to enliven the church. And oftentimes in my 30-some years of ministry, the things that, that allow me to continue on is the remembrances of when the Holy Spirit falls on the church. Now, I could tell you stories of how those things took place in camp meetings, how people were healed, how things took place. Even in this building, we saw people being healed of a stroke. And other things that took place. But the fact is, is that the Holy Spirit doesn't always make things neat and tidy. Now, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's a triune God made of three parts, and therefore the Spirit is part of God, and He enables us to do the things that we can't do. It's kind of like the turn, or no, the, the pledge, taking something normal. The Holy Spirit falls... And there's the turn, taking something normal and doing something that it normally can't do. God desires not just for us to be the same old men and women that we have grown up to be. He desires to transform the ordinary. He desires to take where you are at and to infuse it with the supernatural. But the thing is, is that you can't just stop there. You have to go to the next place. 
you have to take what's not normal or abnormal and realize that there is now a new thing that is taking place. And oftentimes in our Christian walk, we we're, we come with the we know what we are. We know that there is some kind of higher power that can change things. But we're unfamiliar with the last. Because the last means that you can't go back to the way you were. Isaiah chapter 43, and um, I want to, uh, if you have your Bibles, it says, but now thus says the Lord, Isaiah 43 verses 1 to 7, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give it up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who called on my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I form and made. So what's the issue with all of that? Well, you have to understand that in the midst of where that was at, Israel was not in Israel. The Jewish people were not in Palestine. They were living abroad in a foreign land, in a land that oppressed them. And yet in the midst of their darkest times, the prophecy comes that God cares, and God wants to intervene. God wants to undertake and deal with the difficult things and bring you to the place that he already knows you to be and where he has, what he has for you. God encounters tired, desolate people and reveals them to be his treasure. He takes great joy in forming us not just to be functional, but beautiful. The encounter means that he is meant to enliven us for the adventure that lies ahead. God desires to encounter you and he does that through his Holy Spirit. Without an encounter in his presence, the fire and wind will feel like they're destroying us. But with an encounter, when you know we are the most precious thing to God, 
we face grave danger with great joy. Here are the best ingredients to have in a life-altering encounter with God. One, an awareness of your need. And that comes oftentimes from your past. We realize through our experiences that we've neglected some things or some things didn't go as planned and therefore we realize that we're in need of something. The second thing is a willingness to be changed. That means that as you hit today, you go, you know what? Something needs to change because if I keep doing what I've always done, I'm always going to get what I always got. So the last thing is really having honesty and humility to move forward for the future. To be honest and to be in humility to move forward. You see, an encounter with God isn't a magic trick. It's nothing like the movie. Some of you are going to go home and go, I'm going to watch that movie. It has nothing to do with what, other than what I said, has nothing more of what I have about my, my message, so I don't want to, I'm promoting movies now. You know, I've had people leave the church over movies. I know, this is just, de- I'm deviating a little bit, but I showed a clip one time when clips are really, th- you know, about uh, Lord of the Rings, and someone took me aside afterwards and told me he's never coming back again because I showed a clip. Don't do that. I didn't show a clip. I only talked it just for the sake of just starting something out. The point is you got to get to the point. you got to go to the point. The point is the encounter that God has for us through His Spirit is something that is really the answer that you're looking for. An encounter with God isn't a magic trick. It's real transformation. And it happens when you get honest and stay that way. It has a lasting effect when we live dependent upon His presence. That is the understatement of the year. But a casual, cursory experience with God desensitizes us. We make God's power into the treasure when God reveals His people are really His treasure. There is, if you turn with me to Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 9, I want to read this to you. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, "This this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him For a long time he amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip, seeing signs and great miracles performed, and he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent 
to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to stop right there and just say, again, there's an experience with with the Spirit that is subsequent to your conversion. And sometimes we haven't said that enough, but even here, that's why the church sent Peter and John, because there was still more for God to do in and through them by his Holy Spirit. So, they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostle's hands, he offered them money saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. just want to say that that is not something new or just for that time period. It still took place even in the practice of parlor tricks like magic. You would give, the only way you would be able to make money is you passed on your trick by giving it to someone as they paid for it. But Peter said to him, may, you, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor in nor lot in this manner, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. He was really not very nice to Simon. You know, sometimes you see someone do something wrong and you point it out to them in a nice way. Well, this wasn't a nice way. This was like saying, you are an idiot, you're a sinner, and you're going to hell. Just saying. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, why is this so interesting? Because Simon converts to Christianity. But his way of seeing power hasn't been converted. He wants to be somebody great. He wants the power of God to be an accessory so he can be strong and influential. He wants God's strength to make him strong so he won't need God anymore. And that's the wrong way of looking at the power of God. And many of us are guilty of it. Now, I've gone through commentator after commentator after commentary on this, and they've all brought up the obvious that when you talk about what Simon did, it's obvious that that's the wrong way. And we could all, if you read through it, you go, well, I've never done that. I've never gone to the pastor and asked for him to lay hands on me, and I'm going to pay him for what he ever gives me. All of us know that that's like... You're using money to buy the things of God? We know that's wrong. And none of us see us doing that. However, it's not just the transaction that we're talking about here. 
We don't think of buying the power of God the same way Simon does, but we do treat God as a vending machine. Hoping he will solve our problem from the outside in, we're willing, we are willing to sacrifice to twist his arm, and in that sense, we're willing to pay whatever the cost to earn God's power. I'll give you my life if you just heal me, God. We're going to pray until we tip the bowls and then God will have to do something. I don't know why that happened to me. I tithe this month. You see, God doesn't want us to have a transactional relationship. He doesn't want us to earn it. Transactions trivialize the encounter. Transactions trivialize the encounter. But I don't do that. I've never said to God that I, because I tied this month, I didn't expect this. We may not have said it, but sometimes in our heart, we, because of where we are at and our experience sometimes is different than where we think we are at with him, that we get this, play, this, this situational uh, transactional attitude with him because we're saying, well, I'm good enough for it. Come through. I deserve it. So where are you? I've come to this church for I don't know how many years and I still feel the same way I've always felt. So he must not be here. I could get a little bit deep. I could, I could go a little deeper with that. But the point is, is that sometimes when we, in our, in our, our attitude, in our, in our character, we don't realize that we get, get into a transactional relationship with God. And then we wonder why we face disappointment with Him because our thought processes of His power haven't changed. God wants to break into your life regardless of how many times you've read your Bible this week. God wants to break through your life regardless of how much time you've prayed this week. Oh, now you're, now you're really stretching things, Kendall, because guess what? You know... Yeah. I don't know, my God isn't like that. I, I, I need to be doing everything right in order to make sure that, you know, I, I get what he's going to give. In the process of Isaiah 43, they, Israel was not where they should have been, and they got there because they weren't doing the right thing with God. Yet God in His grace was prophesying their deliverance. The issue is not just pain relief or to bring some kind of answer. It's to bring transformation. It's to take you from the place that you are and to place you into a new place that totally takes away 
all the past, all the situation, all the difficulty, because it is an upgrade. It is not going to affect you any longer. You see, God is into transformation, not just pain relief. Now, some of you in this room are facing difficult, difficult circumstances. And they are, they, when you look at them, they are impossible to get through. Because in your own power, you can't do it. But God is calling and saying, I want to bring you through to the other side so that, guess what? It's not just been delivered. It's not just been answered. It brings you to the place where it really has, it has absolutely no more effect on you. The reason why burning ones would change the world is because burning ones have been brought through the fire. And the fire has no, has has burnt out the chaff and the, and, the, and the different thinking and has brought you to the other side that says, guess what? I no longer have to deal with that stuff because my God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. Church, We, we truly need to understand in the pain of, of what society is constantly groaning through that there needs to be not just a deliverance of pain, there needs to be a transformation of power. And that's what the Holy Spirit is all about. We are called to be formed by the Spirit. That means that we are no longer formed by the world, by our thinking. We are formed by the Spirit. There is a transformation that takes place. The desire to earn His strength in the place of our weakness is the desire to be invulnerable. This is not the kind of strength God has. God modeled dependency through Jesus. Jesus modeled dependency and trust. His ultimate expression of power was laying down his life, not in conquering his life. The desire for self-improvement is sometimes a way of resisting our calling to the cruciform love. We want to make our lives better, but we don't want to go lower. We reduce a miracle to a magic trick. And that is what the first magicians did. They used magical phrases to frame their magic tricks. Hocus pocus, they would say. They stole from a priestly blessing of the Eucharist in Latin. Hoc a eum corpus um, I don't know if I said that right. My Latin's a little shaky. <laughs> Means this is my body. You see, they wanted to impress the crowd, so they took something sacred and made it profane. 
We are the prestige of God. He takes his glory in us. Sometimes we glorify his power for our own gain because we're trying to be strong instead of willing to be weak. He is strong on our behalf, yes, but not because he takes pride in his own power, because he takes pride in us. To a dad, I mean to a child, a dad is powerful. A father might pretend that they are, even grandpas, at least when the kids are young. It's okay to be the papa that can do everything or the dad that can do everything, but a father knows his limits. They may not always be the strongest person in the room, but they can lift a car if the child is trapped underneath it. It's the kind of endless power God has. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's in the power of His love. So tonight, today, I, I want to leave you with some things to think about. We are the prestige of God. This means letting God be strong on our behalf, surrendering to His care. We live and move as a child in dependence on His intervention, even when we still need outward signs of it. Even when we need outward signs of it. We also need to repent of false humility and disappointment, thinking we are already at the bottom and that we need the power of God to bring us even to everyone else. Unfortunately, Facebook and social media brings us the best of everybody. And so we are left in this, in this place of Loweredness that is not really humility, it's, it's discouragement, depression. It allows us to, to measure our lives by standards that are, aren't really real. And so we put ourselves in this place that we are in lack, and therefore we need the power of God to bring us up to where everyone else. And when you think this way, it leads to disappointment and bitterness. It's still, and you still treat the power of God like an accessory. You see, if you put yourself in the place that you need the power of God to bring you even with everyone else, when that doesn't happen, then you get into disappointment. And it allows you to take you to a place that God has not intended for you to be at. We also, we need to see the power of God as a product or proof. If we see the power of God as a product or proof of living right and having influence on others around us, that is a transactional way of life and desires power to rule over life without relationship. 
And lastly, your experience with God does not mean that you're on the right track. Often we need our thinking to change because it could lead our experience to wrong conclusions. Your experience with God does not mean that you're on the right track. Often our thinking has to change because it could lead our experience to wrong conclusions. Power is not our sufficiency, but our answer to living God's love to the world. If it's just sufficiency, then the world becomes our badge of spirituality. And when, it is an, when really it's supposed to be an answer to living, it is the hope to believe in. That's all the notes I have. I'm done. I want us to understand something, and that is, church, we, we are taking a journey of being formed by the Spirit. We worship by the Spirit. We've been empowered by the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a vital part of an enlivening the church itself to to. It says that the Holy Spirit would come upon you in power, that you would be witnesses. Therefore, there is a mandate that God wants to enable us to do that is far beyond our capacity to do. The point is, is that if we don't allow our thinking to change, and use the world standards by which we look at the enablement of the Holy Spirit, it could truly damage or allow us to get off track of what the Holy Spirit really wants to do in and through our lives. Like I said to you at the beginning, when the Holy Spirit fell, in, all of, in many of the occasions that I have experienced, not everybody's ready for it. It comes with things that we're not ready to understand, comprehend, deal with. So the places that really we have to, we have to take a look at the, at the enablement and as the, the, the ability to get us to the place where we are needing to be, not just have the capacity to have the stuff. We want to see, if we, if we look at that prophecy and we, we look at it and we digest this and we, we study it and we, we, we recite it to memory, it's not going to get us where we need to go. You kind of have to walk through the fire in dependence of his power in order to live the reality of tomorrow.
I wish that all, from the sound of my voice, would be there tomorrow, would live for tomorrow, understand what tomorrow is all about. Because this is the glory that he's talking about. And many people, since the times of that prophecy has been in, I, all across this room, there were people who raised their hand, I'll be able to do it, I'll be able to go, I'll be able to sacrifice, I'll be able... You know what? When the rubber meets the road, it often will challenge the very foundations of who we are, what we believe, what he's doing. Church, the pledge is to take something normal, turn you to see something supernatural. to bring the transformation of Almighty God. I believe the church hasn't really experienced the fullness of what Christ has died and rose again for. I don't believe that the church has fully comprehended what its mandate and the fullness thereof of what is yet to come. This world is in confusion. People's lives are in turmoil. It's like dueling tornadoes. And you can get sucked into the vortex. Well, you're going, but I already am in the vortex. You don't know what my life is like. Well, guess what? Let me prophesy. Thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When, I pass, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It says, I give Egypt and Cush and Seba, those were all enemies in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes. There is nothing too difficult that you can't go through when you've been spoken over from the almighty throne room of heaven. But you have lowered the standards if all you're asking for is aspirin or Tylenol. Church, that's not what God's all about. Because you're precious in His eyes. Honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not. 
for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west and to gather you up. Do not withhold. Bring your sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And if he has formed you and named you and brought you, then guess what? What you are facing today is not the end. It's the fire that's beginning to burn, beginning to quench and consume all that isn't of him that you might fully comprehend and live in the full promise of transformation and of his glory. I'm waiting for that day. And it what, it's what drives me to continue to do what I do. I have to remember when I get into the, into a, the place of, of everyday life, when I walk into the council room just over there, I have to remember He's called me. And that that's part of the transformation that he's promised. It's so easy to get caught in everyday life and in everyday pain and in everyday situations and think that if I just pull up my bootstraps just a little bit harder, if I just do a little bit and more of enough, I will get the answer that I need. Transactional power will not always work. It'll give you a relief for a time, but there is a place where you have to come and say, enough is enough, God, I give it to you. God is already working where you are. The transaction is already taking place. The fire is already burning. And the glory is coming. So awakening. Let's get awake. Let's awaken to the plan that you are the prestige of God. Called not just for pain relief, but for glory. <laughs>